everyone. So my name is Lauren, and I'm part of the team here at Trinity. And we're going to spend the next chunk of time unpacking the scripture that Naomi just read to us. But I thought it would be good if I started with a bit about me, right? So we're not strangers. So I'm actually not from Nottingham originally, if you can tell from my accent. I grew up in Hertfordshire. And my mum and dad actually surprised me, so they're like there on the third row. <laughs> Um, and I moved to Nottingham about eight years ago to study, um, like many of you guys here. And I went to uni of. Any uni of people in the room? Yeah. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I studied uh, product design and manufacture, a bit rogue, um, at Nottingham University. And then after I finished, I realized that I really didn't want to do that as a career. Um, so for a couple of years, I was a, a barista, so I got the latte art down. Um, and I did some other things, did some fashion stuff. And then I sort of like found myself on a church internship. Um, so I worked uh, for a year in a church in Nottingham. So it's actually in Bestwood Park, which is like 15 minutes north from here. And one of the main things I did while I was at Bestwood Park was to um, help run a community meal. So every single Tuesday at lunchtime, we'd have 80 to 90 people come um, and we'd serve them a two-course meal for two quid, so it was like a bargain. Now, what was amazing about Best Stop Kitchen, our community meal, was that um, you'd have every single type of person there. So I used to look after the same table every week, and we'd have a childminder who had four or five kids from the estate that she was looking after. We had um, older people from the local retirement community. We had local office workers. Um, and on the odd occasion, we'd have city councillors um, who'd pop in to try and get some votes, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were all around uh, one table together. And what's interesting is that this group of people is so different and so um, different to each other. Um, yet friendships were formed and a community was born. Now this move, actually, um, was part of a growing movement at the time to get people around the table together. And the Eden Project, which is that place in Cornwall, where I'm sure many of us went on a school trip, um, they did some research on uh, community meals. Um, and they found that a third of weekday evening meals are eaten in isolation, so people are eating alone. And the average adult eats 10 meals out of 21 alone each week. So that's half of the uh, weekly meals alone. But what's interesting is that the study also found that when people eat with others, they are more likely to be satisfied and happy with their lives. Now, there was this professor guy <laughs> called Robin, if you care, and he, um, he was part of the study, and he said this. In these increasingly fraught times, when community cohesion is ever more important, making time for and joining in communal meals is perhaps the, perhaps the single most important thing we can do both for our own health and well-being and for that of the wider community. So who you eat with or don't eat with is important. It can define our own sense of belonging and it can even mend communities. That's community cohesion, right? Mending communities. So who you share meals with is important and this was the case even more so uh, in Paul's time when he's writing to the church in Galatians. So we read, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. 
I went up in response to a revelation. Then I laid before them, though only in a private meeting with the acknowledged leaders, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Because of the false believers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, so they they might enslave us, we did not submit to them, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel may always remain with you. And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders, what they actually were makes no difference to me. Brutal. God shows no partiality. Those leaders contributed nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter, making him an apostle, also worked through me in sending me to the uncircumcised. And when James and Cephas, Peter, and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only one thing, that we remember the poor, which is what I was actually eager to do. So let's pause there. What is Paul talking about? Well, Paul is essentially telling the Galatians his credentials. He's like holding up his CV or his like LinkedIn. Does anyone use LinkedIn? Um, To them. And he's saying, the gospel that I'm teaching, me, Paul, the gospel I'm teaching is the full gospel. God says so. And the big guys, the super apostles, James, Peter, and John, they agree. So um, you should listen to me. So Paul is not mincing his words at all and he's about to like go in he's about to cut deep but before we get there why is Paul talking about circumcision so much well at the time um, circumcision was the very thing for the Jewish community that determined who was in and who was out now let's remember for the most part the Christians at the time the new communities of Jesus' followers were predominantly Jewish people who believed that Jesus was their Messiah. And it was only when Paul came on the scene that the gospel started to be shared and extended beyond the Jewish people. Now, troublemakers in Galatia, this place that Paul's writing to, um, had been suggesting to the church in Galatia that Paul hadn't actually shared the full gospel with him. He, the, The troublemakers were saying that Um, They actually needed extra things, like top-ups, in order to be saved. And one of those top-ups was circumcision. But Paul is telling the Galatians, in the passage we just read, that the gospel he's teaching is the true gospel and the full gospel. It's the legit gospel. It's the gospel for all. The gospel for Jews and non-Jews, for circumcised, uncircumcised, for Jews and Gentiles. So let's read on. Verse 11. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to to eat with the Gentiles. 
But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas, my guy Barnabas, was led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, I said to him before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We know from last week and weeks before that it's only God and his grace through Christ Jesus um, is able to make us worthy, worthy to bear the name of Christ. Nothing extra is needed. There's no top-ups. Peter, however, by only eating with Christians who were ethnically Jewish, was saying something different. In order to please the teachers that James has sent, Peter withdrew and stayed with his own. He stayed with his own kind. He was fearful of what the people preaching the circumcision gospel, which actually isn't the gospel, would say. So there's this Bible guy, and he said this. All we can say is that a dispute arose over meals and that Peter withdrew from eating with the Gentile believers. The sharing of common meals, which included the Lord's Supper, was central to the formation of Christian communities, as it expressed their common identity and their commitment to one another in shared allegiance to Christ. So Peter's withdrawal was a catastrophic breach of fellowship. It was massive. It implied that these Gentiles were not fully members of the assembly in Antioch. Tables were super, super important in these cultures. Who you ate with said something about you. And who you didn't eat with said something about who you thought they were. So by only eating with Jewish Christians, Peter basically said through his actions that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Christians, weren't Christian at all. They weren't even part of the church. Now, this is a big deal. It's a big deal for Paul. But why? Why is it a big deal? It's a big deal because of grace. Because Peter here is undermining the very good part of the gospel. The good news says that God's grace is given to all, not because we're worthy, but because he creates worth in us. To remove yourself from the table with others is to say that Christ has not done enough to make you worthy of sitting next to me. That there's too much that separates us, that you could never be on my level. Now, this is something that Paul was not going to stand for when this Christian community was charged with exactly the opposite. It was meant to be a community that embodied and represented the gospel of grace. So for Paul, grace is at stake. And if grace is at stake, the gospel is at stake. So what is grace? Grace creates worth, as I said. And grace is, I think, the USP of the Christian faith, it's central to the gospel. It's God's unmerited, so undeserved, unearned favor. It's his unconditional, so non-refundable, positive regard. 
And we, the church, those of us who call ourselves Christians, are um, called to be a community of grace. That's what makes this Christian life thing different. We are able to enable anyone to join in. It might seem really basic, but we model that. We model that radical welcoming by who we're willing to eat with. So this Bible guy says another thing. He says, we know that Jews in antiquity, so in ancient times, were wary of eating meals regularly with non-Jews, especially if such meals created strong social bonds. But if we look at Jesus, he not only set the standard, he reset the standard. He was willing to eat with anyone who wanted to eat with him. You only have to look at the woman who um, poured perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped, the, wiped his feet clean with her own hair at the dinner table to show that Jesus didn't follow those rules. Jesus was the friend of sinners. He ate with sinners. He ate with women and men. He ate with his own disciples. He ate with tax collectors. He was killed in part because of his eating practices, right? Who he ate with indicated that he was willing to accept the unacceptable. That he was willing to accept you and me. And we are invited to sit at the table with Jesus. And we're also enabled to sit at the table with other sinners like us. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We're equal. It's, it's Jesus that makes it possible to sit at the table with those different to us. Those who might disagree with us. Those who might think or behave differently to us. It's pretty easy and at times, sometimes feel, feels natural to enter into community with those who are similar to us, right? But for us as Christians, our measure is actually grace. We will eat with those who look very different to us because something greater united us. Jesus. Now the table is one of those um, essential Christian symbols. It speaks of welcome, it speaks of equality, equity. It speaks of shoulder to shoulder relationships rather than leveled ones. And when we eat together, when we gather and eat together, it's not just um, for the vibes or the bands. <laughs> it's actually a deeply important practice of grace, and it actually shapes the people we're becoming. So if we go back to Peter, what Peter is doing by only eating with ethnically Jewish um, Christians is actually like a grievous, a massive sin against those that he leaves behind. And if we're being like totally honest, it's a betrayal of the gospel. Grace makes equals of us. Grace says that 
because our value comes from something external to us, something that God gives, all of our differences are rendered meaningless relative to his goodness and to his mercy. But loads of us, myself included, have chosen at some point to get up from the table, right? Remove ourselves from the table. It might not be circumcision, probably not, that makes you um, get up from the table. But there are loads of other... <laughs> but there are loads of other things um, that it could be. So maybe it's um, people-pleasing. Maybe like Peter, someone's told you that you shouldn't hang out with those kind of Christians, that they're actually not Christian at all. And maybe you don't want to rock the boat too much. You don't want to go against them. You don't want them to think less of you. Or even worse, maybe they'll think you're like them, the Christians that they don't like. Or maybe it's prejudice. Maybe you are holding on to the judgments that you've made about people so tightly that you can't even um, get to know them. Maybe because you're from a different culture or you've got a different accent, a different background. You think that the, the, the gap is too wide. There's no point, you know, just stick with your own. Now, this is the story for many people um, in my own community. So in the 1950s and 60s, thousands of people arrived in England from the West Indies um, to help the mother country, that's England, um, to rebuild after the war. And one of those people was my grandma's best friend, and we affectionately call her Sister Gibson. Now, in her first months in the UK, she was wanting to find an Anglican church that was a bit like the one she used to go to in Guyana, in her homeland. I'm guessing that she was just missing the familiar, right? She'd hoped to find something that was familiar um, in this new, cold, physically cold, and sometimes emotionally cold country. <laughs> and so she looked up some churches in the area and found one not too far from where she lived. After a few weeks of attendance at the hour-long, which was really short for her, um, services, the vicar waited for her at the end of the service and said, thanks for coming, but please don't come back. Now that's the story of the church we belong to, right? The Church of England. And it's an example of where prejudice caused grace to be left at the door. Or maybe for you it's that um, it's actually too uncomfortable to eat with people that are different. It's too much like hard work. You'd rather not be exposed to anything that challenges your worldview too much. Maybe you've curated your echo chamber, right? And it actually sounds quite nice in there, so you're, you're fine. Maybe you hear someone advocating for the left or the right politically and you think, nah, not for me. They think differently, so I'll stay well clear. Or maybe they're wearing a mask, or maybe they're not, and that's going to determine whether you eat with them. Maybe it's that you've been offended by others in the church. Perhaps the wound that you've received has caused you to remove yourself from the table completely. Maybe you still show up here, you still sit down, you still sing, 
but your heart is hard to those around you. And you're not going to risk sitting at the table again. But what if? What if you were called to bring healing to that very place that you experienced hurt? What if you were called to dig deep into the grace of Christ and find courage there and take a seat at the table again? So Jesus, which is one of the wildest things he's done, Jesus um, ate a meal with his disciples, an intimate meal where he shared so much with them, uh, knowing that they were going to abandon and betray him just a few hours later. He knew that, and he still ate with them, and he still shared with them. Grace looks like Sister Gibson, my grandma's best friend, last year, more than 50 years after being shunned by her local vicar, cautiously and nervously walking through the doors of that church again for the first time. It looks like the vicar asking about her experience, listening to her story and dropping to her knees with heartfelt repentance and apology. Welcoming Sister Gibson back to the table and back into the community. Grace being given and received by all involved because of Christ. What we know from this passage From the letter to the Galatians is that the gospel demands a different narrative to the one the world tells us. It demands a community that's shaped by the grace of Christ. A community with no barriers. The gospel turns difference into wonder turns offence into opportunity for healing. It turns prejudice into a beautiful collage, beautiful painting of diversity. A lot is at stake if we abandon this vision, if we abandon Jesus' vision of a grace-shaped community, if we settle for something less. But to stay at the table is going to take courage. It's easier to get up. It's harder to stay. It's going to cost us something, right? It might even lead us to repentance. So, will you take your seat again at the table? Will you sit with Jesus? Will you allow him to heal your wounds? Will you take your seat with others? We're going to have a time now to pause and actually ask God what he's saying to us. So I encourage you to close your eyes.
and ask God. What is in this that I need to hear? How do you want me to respond? Maybe you need to forgive some people. Maybe you need to repent, so apologize for what you've been doing and stop doing it. Maybe your heart is hard. You find it almost impossible to open yourself to other people, to other Christians maybe. Invite Jesus into that bit, that painful bit. Ask him to heal it. Father, we thank you that you give us grace as a gift. That you and your son are willing to sit with us. you not only want to love us, that you do love us, that you are love. And we say, thank you.